Our gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, but Lord, we, uh, we come before you, and if we are honest with ourselves, Father, we, we recognize that uh, there are things in our own hearts and our own lives that we must confess before you. There are things that we are uh, we're not very proficient at, and we're not um, honoring you with. Father, in one sense, we don't take you seriously enough. And I pray, Father, that as we dive into Scripture this morning, that you would convict our hearts about um, really respecting you appropriately and taking you seriously the way you want us um, to, to, to treat you. And so bless this time in, uh, in our study on the third commandment, and, uh, and may it be uh, exalting to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it is in his, in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, this morning, we do want to jump back in our series on the Ten Commandments. It's been two months, two months since our last sermon on the Ten Commandments. So it's about time, it is high time to jump back in. And obviously, I have the Ten Commandments up here for you, but just as a, it's been so long, and so we need to review a little bit. And to help review, um, can you show me the Ten Commandments with hand motions? I want to know. Can, do you guys remember? It's been a long time. I don't know. So, okay, wait, hold, hold on, hold on. Before you just start, like, th- throwing them at me, and I don't know what you're doing, um, I'm just going to ask people individually here, okay, and see if you remember, okay? So, num- Ethan, number one. Of course. It's the easiest one. Yeah, that's it. You shall have no other gods before me. There's, there's only one God is kind of the idea, okay? So good. That's, that's easy. So number two, uh, Sam. Remember? I'm not, I forgot. Yeah, you pretty much got it. Yeah, but use two hands. So it's easier that way, yeah. Uh, you shall not make yourself an idol, so don't like bow down is the idea. Number three. Uh, Brian, do you remember? Yeah, good job. Three, yep. Number four, Javier, do you remember? Remember number four is? Four. Turn to a pillow. Sleep on it. Keep Sabbath holy. So, number five, Hodel, Nathan. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Give him a swat. Number five, honor your father and mother. Good. Number six. Athena, do you remember number six? No. Josh? That's what, okay. Yeah. That's right. Stab yourself. Well, I don't know why stab yourself, because it's actually murder, but that'd be suicide. But, um, but yeah, so the idea of number six is like that. So. Uh, the other Josh, number seven. You're close. You're close. The, this, just five, just leave it up, and then two, two, two stay together. So do not commit adultery. So, yep. Uh, number eight, Lauren. Yeah, don't steal. Number nine, Sarah. You don't know number nine. Joel, you know number nine? Yeah, good. So it's like number three, but. I uh, like that. Good. And basil number 10. Yeah, do not cover. That's the other easy one, so sort of. We're good. 
Uh, so that's the Ten Commandments. So that just kind of helps us kind of give a little bit of review. But we've, we've addressed the First and Second Commandments so far, and both from the Old Testament and what they even look like in the New Testament. And so we've done two commandments, and we've done four sermons so far uh, through the Ten Commandments. And I want to take a moment just to refresh your memory about what we've learned, just briefly. Um, all Ten Commandments serve as visual cues for the watching world, okay? They serve as visual cues for the watching world. Keep that in mind, okay? That's, the, that's really the whole point of them. And there are three purposes that make the Ten Commandments these visual cues or, or a big advertisement for the world, okay? Um, and those three purposes are, number one, that the Ten Commandments are meant to broadcast who God is and what he's all about. Uh, number two, that they're meant to show your love for God by your love for others. And number three, uh, that they are intended to shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. Okay, so that should all just be just kind of review of things we've talked about. And, uh, it, and especially I kind of want to just hang out for a second on the, the second purpose, which is um, that you show your love for God by your love for others. Uh, because I think that's the, that one gets a little bit complicated and it's a little hard to understand. But So just as a reminder, uh, early on I helped you kind of conceptualize how this actually works using these visual cue cards, okay? And so I kind of want to show you how this works again. Uh, the Ten Commandments are not just set in the order of one, two, three, four, and five, and six and so, seven, four, on, so on, okay? They are, but it's more than that. There's, there's kind of like this hidden, hidden structure that's embedded inside this normal, linear, sequential order, okay? Um, and in that, this hidden structure really helps us see that there's a relationship between the first half and the second half, okay? And, and so the first half has to do with your relationship with God, right? No other gods before me, no idols, don't take God's name in vain, keep Sabbath holy. This all has to do with your relationship with God. But the final six have to do with your relationship with others. And what happens is that these commandments begin to pair up with each other. And so what you end up finding is that this kind of takes place here. Commands one and two pair up with command five. Command 3 pairs up with command 6, 7, 8, and 9, and command 4 pairs up with command number 10, okay? And the idea here is that there's basically three lines of thought that's going on here, that God is the highest authority, that he should be treated as such, and that really at the end of the day, God owns everything, and so we want to communicate that in, 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 in our hearts and in our lives, okay? So there's kind of this progression that's created uh, and, and there's a way that you demonstrate it toward God, and there's a way that you demonstrate it towards others, okay? And so that's kind of the, uh, what the point of the, uh, the second purpose is. You show your love for God best by loving other people. And so both the first and second commandments interact with, with each of these three purposes, and in, in particular, um, they, they both tell us something unique about who God is and what he's all about. They both indicate for us different ways that you show your love for God by your love for others. 
okay? And they both have their own way of shining as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. But the bottom line for these two commandments is this, okay? If you're, if you're going to take away anything away from the first two commandments that we've learned so far, it is this, that God is the highest authority and he should be the highest authority in your life. That's kind of bottom line. That's what you need to learn from the first and second commandments. Uh, the first two make this abundantly clear when they say, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make an idol, make for yourself an idol. But now we want to move beyond the first two commandments to a new commandment, okay? We want to drop down to the third commandment. We want to jump over to, the, to number three here this morning. And the first, do, the first two, sorry, dealt with how you view God. How you view God. Is God highest in your mind? Do you consider him to be the best, the top? Or does he occupy some kind of lower position in your mind? Okay, that's what, that, that's, that's what the first two commandments talked about. But now we transition from how we should view God to how we should actually treat him. It's one thing to say, I believe God is the highest being in the universe and worthy of exclusive, exclusive worship and praise. It's a whole other thing to actually practice it. It's a whole other thing to actually show it. But that's the nature of the third commandment. So open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and let's look at verse 11, which is where the third commandment can be found. Deuteronomy 5, verse 11. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God does not hold guiltless the one who takes his name in vain. Now, obviously, this is the third commandment, and I want you to pause for a moment and think about this command, okay? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now, you tell me, put this in your own words and tell me what does that mean? What do you think that means? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Any ideas? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that's a good point, yeah. Don't say you're a Christian and, and then just act like you're not a Christian. That, that, that's, that's a good point. Actually, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit here. So any other thoughts of what it means? Yeah. Specifically, like, don't say it unless you actually mean it. Yep, don't say it unless you actually mean it. Good. Good, you guys are thinking along the same lines. Most Christians today think about it this way, okay? They think about the third commandment that, that it's forbidding us from throwing around any of God's names as swear words. That's normally how people understand the third commandment. Don't swear using God's name, okay? Have you ever guys, have you heard of that before with the third commandment? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's like, don't swear with God's name. That's normally the way Christians think about this. Now, don't get me wrong. While this is true, it's a good application. This is, that's actually not what the third commandment's about. That's not what it's about. And that's not the main idea of the third commandment. And uh, Joel and Josh were kind of hitting on kind of the central idea of really what the third commandment is about. And so the, the third commandment is actually a much broader concept. 
And so we want to jump into what is that broad concept. You know, it's kind of like if you think about the, the third commandment as only, you know, um, you know, swearing using God's name, it's actually like no different than if you were to like wa- you were to watch only beach volleyball at the Summer Olympics and think, hey, that's the Summer Olympics. It's beach volleyball. It's like, well, yeah, true. Like beach volleyball is a part of the Summer Olympics. But that's not everything in there. There's 41 other sports in the Summer Olympics. You know, there's, you know, boxing and canoeing and diving and soccer and handball and gymnastics and things like that, right? So broaden your horizons. This is more than just swearing using God's name. That's just one small piece of the puzzle. And so to help you understand the big picture, uh, let me provide for you a little context. When God said, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, he actually had something very specific in mind. Actually, ironically, it's very specific. Uh, even though it is broader, we're going to talk about something broader. To be able to do that, we need to talk about something specific. Okay, Taking the name of the Lord, uh, in, uh, taking God's name in vain, ref- or sorry, take, just even the idea of taking God's name, not even in vain, but just taking his name, it really, really refers to swearing by oath. Swearing by oath. And we're not really familiar with swearing by oath today that much in our culture, but you are aware of it. It happens today. Uh, Think about it. A man walks into a courtroom, puts his right hand on a Bible, lifts his left hand and says, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. What is he doing there? He's swearing. And he's actually, and then he says, so help me God. So he's actually swearing by God as well. So uh, that is something that actually happens in our culture We're just not very aware of it very often. And I think that's actually a good example of what this commandment is referring to. This is swearing, but with an oath, okay? It's a serious legal setting where someone makes a promise and uses God's name to actually seal the deal. But the question is, why would you use God's name? Why do you throw God's name into an oath? What does that do? Well, think about it for a moment, okay? When you throw God's name into it, You're asking God to be your accountability. I swear before God, God is my witness, that I will make this happen, that I will tell the truth, you know, or something like that. I will tell the truth. Here's the idea. If I don't tell the truth, may God kill me is kind of the idea, okay? May God deal with me in judgment. So what are you actually saying when you swear with God's name? You're saying I am dead serious about what I am promising right now, okay? I am dead serious. It's the highest form of seriousness that you can actually appeal to, okay, Uh, if you use God's name. So taking God's name in an oath is very serious. It's the most serious thing you can ever do, okay? And so the third commandment forbids people, uh, or sorry, uh, yeah, forbids people from ever inserting God's name into an oath in a vain way. Vain just means useless or meaningless, like like you really don't intend on actually fulfilling your promise or keeping your promise, okay? And so it says, don't attach God's name to an oath when you're not serious about keeping it, okay? That's the nature of the third commandment. Be serious. Be serious about your oath. But even though the third commandment expresses a specific idea about oaths, I don't want you to think that it only has to do with swearing an oath in like a legal setting or something like that, okay? 
This is a general principle that applies to all of life. Whenever you approach any matter of life, whether it be swearing an oath, whether it be brushing your teeth, you know, eating cereal in the morning, going to school, whatever it is, take God seriously. That's the idea. That's the principle. And so that's really the main idea, uh, the heart of the third commandment. You can say you respect God's authority all day long until you're blue in the face. But do you actually treat him that way? That's the third commandment, okay? And so I want to unpack for you the nature of taking God seriously. And to do that, I want to apply the same pattern that we've used for the first two commandments. I want to talk about our three purposes, okay? Our three purposes. And I want to walk through all three purposes of the Ten Commandments, and I want to apply them specifically to this third commandment this morning, okay? And so, number one, the third commandment is meant to broadcast that God is to be taken seriously for who he is. God is to be taken seriously for who he is, okay? If God is highest, as the first commandment tells us, and he should never be any lower, just as the second commandment reminds us, then we must be people who take him seriously as such. We must be people who take him seriously. And as I've done a few times before, I can think of no better way to explain this than to show you an illustration from the Bible itself, okay? You guys remember the illustration from Judges 17 about the Levite and, the, and Micah and stuff like that? Well, I want to take you to Judges 21 and show you another Levite, a different guy. This is a different guy, okay? So go and turn over to Judges 21. Uh, Judges 21 kind of drops us into a, in the middle of a dark story, and it's been kind of brewing for a couple of chapters. So before I begin reading, let me kind of summarize what happened uh, up to this point. Uh, this is a period in Israel's history where David, uh, sorry, before David becomes king, before Saul becomes king, but after Joshua conquered the promised land, Canaan, right? And this is a time where Israel begins to spiral out of control, okay? And Judges 21 is a time where they're at the bottom of this spiral. They're like, they are, they are just tanking so bad. This is after Samson, like right after Samson lived, right after Gideon lived, and this is like the end of the Judges period, okay? Judges 21 is a bad, bad time. And there's this Levite that shows up. And he's different than the other Levite we talked about before. This Levite uh, did something very provocative, something very eye-popping, um, uh, eye like, whoa, like this is weird. Uh, he allowed his own wife to be raped by a mob. He actually just like sent, him, sent her, his wife out to a mob and let her, be, let, let her be raped. Terrible. It's horrible. And then he proceeded to, um, he actually didn't, he, she ended up like kind of lifeless on his doorstep. And we actually don't know if she was alive or dead or not. The, the, the Bible doesn't really tell us. It kind of leaves it ambiguous. But then he proceeds to cut her up into 12 pieces and to send her to each tribe of Israel, each of the 12 tribes. Crazy. This guy's nuts. And so what happens is it got every tribe in Israel mad, okay? Actually not mad at the Levite. They got, mad, got them mad at the mob who raped the woman. And the only tribe that didn't get mad was Benjamin 
because the mob was a Benjaminite mob. And so the entire tribe was like, hey, we're going to try to protect our own. And so we're not going to get mad at this mob. So what happens is there's like this huge like uh, assembly that gets together and like, what are we going to do? And they're like, let's go march up against this town of Benjamin and try to uh, get them to hand out uh, get them to hand over the mob to us, okay? So we can kill them, basically. And so they go to the, the city. They're like, hey, can we uh, get this mob? And the city's like, no. And so what happens is this massive civil war breaks out with 11 tribes against one tribe. Now, who do you think is going to win an 11 versus one battle? One. <laughs> one, yeah, that's right. No, the 11 tribes win. But Benjamin puts up a, an amazing fight. Six, uh, sorry, 700 men... Who, can, uh, who are like these slingshot type guys, are like, like super snipers, and they take out like, uh, like 60,000 men or something like that. It's crazy. Uh, it's, they're, they're nuts. But they finally like get down to a point where they, everyone dies in the tribe of Benjamin, like everybody, except for 600 men. And so you might be asking yourself, like, well, what does this have to do with the third commandment about swearing oaths and stuff like that? Well. That's where Judges 21 picks up. And look at verse 1 here for a moment, okay? Judges chapter, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Okay? So there, they swear. They make an oath. And the 11 tribes swore to God. And here's the point of their oath. They don't want Benjamin to ever repopulate ever again. They want to decimate them off the face of the planet. And they're like, we're never going to help you repopulate. We're never going to give you our daughters to your men to actually continue the line of Benjamin. And so they're like, if you're going to continue on, you have to do it yourself. But here's another problem. Look at verse 5. They also swear, verse 5, the Israelites said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up to the assembly of the Lord? Uh, for there was a great oath concerning whoever did not come up to the Lord, to Mitzvah, and they said, they will certainly die. Okay? The idea here is this. Not only did they swear we're never going to give you our daughters to repopulate, they also said we're going to, anyone who's not at this meeting right now is going to die. Well, guess who's not at the meeting of the 11 tribes? Benjamin. So Benjamin is going to die. So basically, the, the tribe of Israel is it basically just painted themselves into a corner here, okay? They swore never to help Benjamin reproduce, and they also made a oath at the very same time that whoever isn't present making this oath must also die as well. So here's the point, and here's the problem. The 11 tribes of Israel just basically, by swearing to kill Benjamin and refusing to help them repopulate, they just sounded the death knell for Benjamin. I mean, Benjamin's done. There's no more tribe of Benjamin. They're going to be over, okay? And so Israel either has to honor their oath before God and wipe out their brother uh, one of their brother tribes off the face of the planet, or they have to break their promise, okay? And the question is, what's it going to be? See the problem there? So this is kind of a tricky situation. And this all started with a simple march on a city to execute criminals. It really turned into a bloodbath that effectively eliminated an entire tribe. You can't kill off the tribe Benjamin. How can you possibly do that? Why would you do that? That's terrible. And so... What does Israel do? Because they can't kill one of their brother, tri brother tribes. If they do that, they're going to basically be in sin before God by 
killing their own brother. But they can't re help uh, Benjamin repopulate because they promised they wouldn't. And they can't actually stop you know, from killing them because, well, they already did and they promised they would kill them. So do the, you see the problem here? Like they either have to break their promise or they're going to have to let Benjamin die, which would also be sin. There's a, it's a no-win scenario. So here's what they do to try to solve this problem. Um, this is ridiculous. Uh, chapter 21 tells us about a dance festival that occurs every year at Shiloh. And the tribes decide to allow 600 men, the 600 men who survived, to wait in the bushes as the dance party starts. You know, kind of like the dance party last night at the wedding, right? So imagine like you're, you're, you're sitting in the forest at the car home, okay? 600 men are just sitting there. And all the women are dancing and stuff like that at this dance party. And they're waiting in the, in the, in the, in the bushes. And then each man is allowed to go and steal one girl off the dance floor and take her to be his wife. That's their solution. And it's like, are you serious? Like, how is that any better than anything else? Like, and so like, and they're like, well, what happens if the city gets mad? It, you know, the, the parent, their parents get mad and, you know, everyone's like, why did you take our daughters and stuff like that? And then Benjamin's just supposed to say, well, this is just supposed to be like, this is how we're supposed to survive. So just deal with it. It's like, really? So you're basically trading like one sin for another. Like it doesn't make any sense at all, okay? And and you could even probably rope in this guy in there too. So like it's it's just it's terrible. And so the, but here's the thing. What choice do they have? What choice do they have? They swore to God presumptuously. They were reckless with their oath. They were careless when they made this promise. They got themselves into this no-win scenario so that no matter what they do, they have to sin against God. And, and, and they chose what they thought would be kind of this lesser sin. But guess what? It's still sin. And it's ridiculous. And that's the nature of sin. It's messy. It's messy. It's complicated. That is what it looks like to not take God seriously. They didn't take God seriously with their oath. They didn't think it through. They weren't really trying to honor God. They were just really mad at this mob and made these rash promises and then got themselves into trouble, okay? So bottom line, when it comes to the third commandment, you really show that you really don't care about God when you make promises that are ultimately gonna be in vain, that either you're gonna have to break it or you're gonna have to sin in some other way. And so Judges 21, coupled with the third commandment, really alerts us to the danger of making hasty promises to God. You need to be serious. In, in what you say to the Lord. But don't forget, the third commandment isn't just restricted to swearing an oath with God's name in it. It certainly includes that, as we just saw, but it's way more. It has to do with your entire life, all your words, all your actions, all your thoughts. Do you take God seriously in everything you do? Well, the Bible has a name for someone who breaks the third commandment. And that someone is called a hypocrite. A hypocrite. Think about it. A hypocrite is someone who claims to love God and then doesn't act like it. The third commandment warns against someone who claims to value God's authority, but then turns around and doesn't live like it. If you're a Christian, you don't live like it, uh, and you don't live like it, you fall squarely into this category. 
you're a hypocrite. Because a hypocrite claims to be a Christian. A hypocrite knows all the right things to say. A hypocrite goes through the motions. A hypocrite says he or she loves Jesus, but a hypocrite doesn't act like it. And Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits, by their fruits. You say you love God. Well, if I were to take a look at your daily schedule, would I be able to tell that you take God seriously? Would I? You say you're a Christian. I would imagine most of you would say that. If I were to watch your daily routine, could I tell that you treat Christ with more respect than anyone else? If you call yourself a Christian, do you cave to the pressure of your friends at school? If you say you love God, ask yourself, how much time do I spend you know, gaming or, or texting friends or, or just doing other things in this world and more than actually loving God and, and worshiping Him? If you love God, shouldn't that consume you? And so the third commandment is powerful. It's powerful because it reminds us to be people of our word before the Lord. Everything we do must conform to, to who we say we are, okay? But we move on now to the third. The third commandment is meant to show that you take God seriously for who he is by taking others seriously for who they are. So the principle of, the third, of taking God seriously extends to how we treat others as well. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot, but this is really no different with the third commandment than it was with the first and second commandments. How do you best demonstrate that you treat God the way you should be treated? Well, you treat others the way you should be treated. And that's why the third commandment is paired up with six, seven, eight, and nine. Because what does don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness all have in common? They all have to do with how you treat people, how you treat God, how you treat others. That's how, that's why these things are, that's why these commands are linked up together. Do you respect others? Do you respect the other people's lives, their purity, their possessions, their rights? When you do, you show that you respect them because you first and foremost respect God. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where God pairs a respect for, for him with a respect for others. It's all over the place. And let me kind of show you one example. Amos chapter 4 Verses 4 and 5 say this, Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply your transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, and offer sacrifices from the leaven of thanksgiving, and call out free will offerings and make them heard. For you love to do so, you Israelites, declares the Lord God. Now pause and think for a moment. God's asking Israel to come and offer sacrifices to give tithes. Is it a bad thing or is it a good thing to offer sacrifices to the Lord? What do you think? It's good. Yeah, it's a good thing. God commanded it in Leviticus. I mean, it should be a good thing, right? So, but why does he say, come to Bethel and transgress or sin at Gilgal? Come and multiply your sin by bringing sacrifices every morning. How is it sin? How is it possible that it's sin? Well, Amos chapter 4, verse 1, gives us a picture of why. It says, when you, it says in verse 1, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, that are on Mount Samaria. 
you who oppress the poor and crush the needy. He's saying, you're coming in sacrificing for the God, and you're saying, we treat God right. But then you, on the very next day, turn around and you murder, you commit adultery, you steal, you bear false witness. You oppress all people around you. He says, that's the problem. He says, you can't separate these two. They go together. You can't say, well, I can treat others badly and then I can treat God well and it's totally fine. No, you treat others badly, you're treating God badly. That's how this works. And so, once again, what we see here is that this is an attitude of a hypocrite. It's someone who says one thing and does another. But our second point here takes this a step further. A hypocrite may not just say he may, may uh, not just say that he respects God. He might actually show it. Uh, he might actually show it too. In other words, a hypocrite is someone who not. It is not just says, well, I love God, but then doesn't love God, he actually might actually manifest it in some of his actions. But you still know that he's a hypocrite because you see him tearing down other people. Um, remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee prayed to the Lord, and, you know, what was the problem with the Pharisee? Was it that he prayed to God? You know, was it that he fasted twice a week? Was it that he paid tithes of all he had? Was it that he was, you know, wasn't an extortioner or an unjust or an adulterer? No. Like, he, even though he, like, you know, was good externally on the outside before God, the problem was a lot of things. But one thing was he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. What did he do? He tore down the tax collector. And so, really, the problem here is that the Pharisee looked like a perfect saint in the world's eyes, but he was a hypocrite at best in God's eyes and a monster at worst because he snubbed other people. That was his problem. You see, hypocrites come in all shapes and sizes. Some of the best hypocrites today can hide behind a veneer of godliness. You know, they read their Bibles every day. They pray every day. You know, they talk about God a lot, that kind of stuff. But when you watch how they treat other people, you see something completely different. They're impatient. They yell at others. Uh, they, they, they manipulate other people to get what they want. You know, or maybe they, they aren't so you know, uh, brash about it. Maybe they're more subtle about it. Maybe they don't attack other people with the words. Maybe they actually avoid other people. Some hypocrites disrespect others by lashing out at them, but some disrespect people by avoiding them, by avoiding them. Some hypocrites are shy. Some hypocrites don't want to talk to others because some hypocrites don't care about what's going on in other people's lives. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a more obscure way. It's harder to pick out, but it's still acting like a hypocrite. It's saying, well, I can still love God, but I'm not going to choose to actively love other people. And your question might be, well, that's disrespectful to just be shy and not open up. Yeah, it can be. Either you show respect or you don't. You can't have it both ways. You can't show respect if you're never around, never around, and you can't show respect if you're always shy. It doesn't work. You can't show love to someone if you're just 
you know, just hanging out by yourself and not saying anything and doing anything, right? You know, what does James chapter 3 say? No one is able to tame the tongue. It is, able, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness or the image of God. People bear the image of God himself. Uh, do you realize that? People bear God's image. You know, it, it's kind of like, think about it this way. We're all like little pictures of God rocking, walking around everywhere. That's what we are. We're like little pictures of God. It's kind of weird to think about, but it's true. Next time you get angry at your brother or sister, next time that you want to look at pornography, next time that you lie to your parents, think this way. Think this. That really picture them as God. You're doing this to God. This is a sin against God. Because God says, they're my image. You treat them disrespectfully, it's like you're treating me disrespectfully. You've got a problem with this person, you've got a problem with me. That's how this works. You want to respect God, respect others. Respect others. Okay? Number three, last and finally, the third commandment is meant to shine the hope of a sincere God on an insincere world. We've seen how the third commandment broadcasts who God is and what he's all about. We've seen how it shows that you love God by loving others. But now we must investigate what it means for the third commandment to shine as a beacon of hope in a fallen world. And it's precisely this, that it shines the hope of a sincere God on an insincere world. God is serious. God is serious about salvation. And God is serious about sin. And the world is so insincere. But that's the beauty of it. God is not so insincere. He's very sincere. He's very serious. And so, here's the thing about the third commandment as it relates to this particular purpose. Uh, don't forget that the Ten Commandments didn't come out of nowhere. They didn't come out of nowhere. God didn't randomly choose, you know, ten different commandments to be kind of his big ones, okay? Each commandment tells us something about God, yes, and each commandment connects our relationship with God to our relationship with others, that's true, but each commandment also reminds us of the world as it once was. In other words, each commandment owns a piece of the Garden of Eden and points us back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Listen to the third commandment again and listen to what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. That's the piece that connects back to creation. God's own name. You see, there's something interesting that happens in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, turn over there for just a moment, okay? Genesis chapter 1, just so you can see this. So you can see kind of how the third commandment is playing off of the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, 1, we know, we know Genesis 1, 1, right? In the beginning, you finish it. God created the heavens and the earth. What name is used for God there? God, yeah, the, God, yeah, so there you go. God, look at verse 3. And God said, verse 4, it says, And God 
Saul in verse um, 5. It says that God called. All through chapter 1, only the name God is used. That's the only name that's used. But turn over to chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. What name for God is it used here? It says, these are the generations of the heaven and earth uh, when they were created uh, in the day that what? The Lord God made them, made the heaven and the earth. The Lord God. This is the first time in the Bible we see God's name as Lord. And this name Lord is a very unique name. It's not just Lord, it's Yahweh. It's God's own personal name. And names are important in the Bible. Um, for example, like Solomon, uh, actually, well, okay. A name was important because it describes who you were. You know, like, like the name Solomon means peace. And Solomon was the only king in Israel to actually reign in almost absolute peace, okay? Uh, Jonah's name, you guys know what Jonah's name means? It means what? Whale. Whale, no. That's a good guess, but no. It actually means dove. <clears throat> it means dove. And it's like, well, why is it dove? Well, although doves are cute little birdies, um, back in those days they were known as stupid animals. Stupid animals, okay? Jonah turns out to be a stupid man uh, because he, he's kind of like a flighty dove because he runs away from the Lord in the exact opposite direction God tells him to go. Kind of like a stupid bird, like a stupid dove that's flying and doesn't know where it's going, okay? Um, and so God has to send this, you know, fish to swallow him and to save his life, okay? So that's what Jonah means. The Lord, Yahweh, means something along the lines of he exists. He exists. Or as kind of Jesus put it, I am. I am self-existent. No one created me. I just, I am. But this name Yahweh also tells us that God has a personal relationship with this world. It's not the name God, which speaks to his power and his strength. It's Yahweh, which speaks to his personal presence. He is, and he is here. He is here. And that's so important to remember because God hasn't left this world to fend for itself. God hasn't abandoned people to suffer the demise of the curse. God hasn't forsaken everyone in their sin and sent them this sentence them all to, you know, eternal hell forever. God's here. God has a plan of salvation. And his own name actually highlights that. And so God says, don't take it in vain because I have a plan to save you. Why would you take this in vain? Why would you betray me? I'm here for you. That's the third commandment's a reminder of that. But there's a plan to get things back to the way things were, where God actually had a personal relationship with people like Adam and Eve. And so that's another idea behind the third commandment. You know, you're growing up in, your, in a culture that can't take God seriously. Everything has to be a joke, and, and God's no exception to it. Um, you know, your friends at school are constantly dropping God's name into a sentence without a thought, carelessly. You know, the way they, you know, they dishonor, dishonor him by the way they live their lives, by the way they treat others, by the way they talk about him. People are constantly, increasingly insincere before God. They don't take God seriously. You have a prime opportunity to portray that God is serious about a relationship with them. And it starts 
with something as simple as showing respect to his name. The third commandment is meant to broadcast that God is to be taken seriously for who he is. It's meant to show that you take God seriously for who he is by taking others seriously for who they are. And it's meant to shine the hope of a sincere God in an insincere world. A few years back, a friend of mine, uh, we'll kind of call him Bob, he was in high school, uh, high school Bible study with me. And we quickly became good friends at this study because we both began to grow in our love for the Lord, kind of at the same rate. And so we, we kind of hit it off and we would, you know, tell each other of how we're growing in the Lord and, and we would share what, what we were reading in our quiet times and things like that. And at the end of the school year, our study took a break over the summer. And so we didn't, we didn't see each other for a few months. In the fall, when the study started back up again, I didn't see Bob. And I was like, where did he go? And I wonder where he was. And so I asked around and it turns out Bob rejected his profession of faith, completely turned away, completely denied God and walked away from the faith. And he wanted to indulge in a worldly lifestyle. Bob looked so good on the outside. He had so much potential. Uh, Bob made a profession of faith. He took the Lord's name, and he swore an oath to be a follower of Christ. But Bob took the Lord's name in vain. He didn't fall through. He didn't take God seriously. Don't put it past yourself that you could end up like Bob. If it's not for the grace of God, we would all be Bob's. We would we would all not take God seriously and we would disrespect him. And so let me ask you, examine your heart. Do I take God seriously? And let me rephrase that question even a little bit more directly. Are you serious about God? Are you serious about God? Because he's serious about you. And either he's made a serious attempt to save you from your sins or he'll make you stand before his very serious judgment seat. Are you serious about God? Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have taken a serious attempt to be, a, to be in a personal relationship with us. You've sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Father, I pray that we would respond with a serious conviction in our hearts to love you, to be committed to you, to treat you the way you should be treated, to treat others the way they should be treated as a reflection of our, our serious attitude to you, and to shine this hope in a world that is just so insincere and that could care less about you. May we be such a beacon of hope, and may our walks with you be strengthened for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.